Good morning and Happy New Year. First Church is excited that you're all here with us this morning in the sanctuary to worship with us, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. I do have several announcements before we start our service. First, I want to say thank you to Grace Rediger and Sharon Cheney on the for the duet this morning for a prelude. Uh, you'll notice there's two roses on each side of the altar here this morning. They're to honor two couples in our congregation that are celebrating 50-plus years of marriage. First one is for Donald and Carolyn Hanson, who celebrated 50, who will be celebrating 57 years of marriage tomorrow, January 3rd. And the second is for Tom and Ann Leppel, who will be celebrating 50 years of marriage on January 8th. So congratulations to both couples. I've been informed today we have a birthday person here with us today. I want to say happy birthday to John Hoagie, who celebrated his 90th birthday yesterday, January 1st. Happy birthday, John. First Church extends their love and sympathy to the family of Helen Wilman, who entered Christ's care on Thursday, December 30th. She was 94 years old. The congregational meeting to accept nominations for officers of the consistory and congregation will be held on Sunday, January 9th, following that morning's worship service. Nominations are listed in the back of your bulletin. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about up here about the changes made to our Constitution and bylaws. Matter of fact, those packets are still available back here at the Information Center if you need more information on that. With that in mind, the elders have set up two meeting dates where you can come and ask questions or share your comments with them on those bylaws. The first meeting will take place next Sunday, January 9th, after our brief congregational meeting that morning. That will take place in the social room in the church basement. The next meeting is on Wednesday, January 12th at 6.30 p.m., and that meeting will also take place in the social room. That takes care of my announcements today. So those who are able, would you please rise and join me for a call to worship. This morning it is taken from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Please remain standing for a praise song, King of Kings.
his breath. So that stone was moved for good, for the land had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame, and now this gospel truth. blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free, for the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. seated. Now will the children come forward for the children chat with Maria Lammers? Good morning. How are you guys today? Good morning. Come sit. We're going to wait just a couple minutes because we got a couple people that are still coming up from on high. Yep. Good morning, Homans. Good morning. All right, come have a seat. So today we're going to talk a little bit about science. What's science? It's when you figure out things you've never known that are really cool. And they're really cool. Yeah. They are pretty cool. Have you ever heard of a compass? A compass? Yes. Yeah. I, I actually have one. That doesn't surprise me. What does a compass do? It shows you the way around. It shows you which direction you're going. It shows you which direction you're going. Did you know that the Earth has a natural magnet? It does. Do you know where it's at? Uh, it's at the North Pole. Do you know that if you have a compass, an old-fashioned compass, which I don't have, but it, that compass always points to the north. Well, the best compass that I could find is the one that comes on your phone. And it's, it's kind of handy. So do you see that red arrow right there? That's north. That's north. So, as I move my phone, and I see, it always points me in the direction that I'm going. So, when would a compass be useful? When you're traveling and you know what, not, don't know where you're going. When you're traveling and you don't know what you're going. Do you know when I got a new vehicle, I, one of the most important things on that vehicle was for it to tell me on the dash what direction I was going because God made me directionally challenged. And I need to have that. Now, sometimes we get lost and we, I mean, we know where we're at. We're right here, right? We're at church. But could we be lost too? Yeah, in church. We could, we could get church, lost in this church. You're right. But we can be lost. We can, like, not know What's going on? Where we're supposed to be? What does God want from me? And then he has a special compass. And Peter talks about that in our scripture reading today. He says that the Bible is like a different kind of compass. Sometimes we have rough things happen to us. We get sick. We don't get to do the things that we had planned to do. We have to deal with people that aren't always very nice to us. And, you know, sometimes we make bad choices, bad decisions. And so 
we create our own problems. And we need a compass. We need to figure out where do we go to figure out where to go from here. So what else do you think God gave us that could help us figure out what we need to do next? Any ideas? No? We could pray. Yep. We could talk to Jesus. It's a book. The Bible. Yeah. The Bible. Does the Bible tell us the right way to live? Did God give us Ten Commandments on rules to follow to help us live a good life? Yeah, he did. And it says, we believe in God, our faith and hope point us in the right direction. God is like our compass. Our faith in God will help us make the right choices. We could say that God is our compass. He helps us find our way through life. So, when you're having a bad day, when things aren't going the way you want them to, get the Bible out. And it will help you to figure out what's going on. And if you're ever lost, it helps you learn and figure out how to solve those problems too. All right, so we learned today that the Bible is like a compass. It helps us when we're lost. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these young minds and eager hearts to learn. Be with us as we start this new year. Let it be a year of health and peace and happiness. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. So we turn our attention to the offering now. Uh, we are going to collect the offering this morning for the general fund. Um, so if you're able to give this morning and are willing to give as the Lord leads you, uh, the deacons are going to come around and with the offering plates and collect the money. And as they're doing that, Adam Orbaugh is going to be singing, Oh, Holy Night. Brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voice. Let all within us 
praise his holy name. Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, oh night divine, oh night when Christ was What a beautiful song that is, O Holy Night, right? We're reminded that, that we live in a weary world, right? And what we need is not a vacation or more time off. What we need is Jesus, right? He's the one that will restore us and heal us and make us whole again. And what that song invites us to do is to come and worship this newborn king. And that's what we're going to continue to do now by singing together hymn number 124, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus. May we lift up that prayer together this morning along with the church for countless generations. Come, Lord Jesus. Set your people free. Restore your kingdom. Destroy sin and death in its entirety and fulfill your promises to us. Lord God, we long for you because we live in, a, in the tension between the two comings of Jesus Christ. Right? We live in the already but not yet world. Lord Jesus, you came the first time and you offered yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. Your blood shed on the cross gives us new life. You won victory over sin in the grave. Yet we now await your second coming when we will experience your victory in its fullness. Give us, Lord, patience and peace as we wait expectantly for that day to arrive. And Lord, as we begin this new year, help us to remember the new life you give us in Christ. Help us to set aside our old habits and anything that would distract us from you. Help us to commit to live according to your word and to fulfill the guide and to follow the guidance of your Holy Spirit. May you work in us what is good and pleasing according to your will. And may we be people defined by the fruit of the Spirit. May we be people of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, bring new life into us this day, we ask. Fill us with your Spirit. Guide us by your word that we may live lives that are pleasing according to your will. Lord, we pray for those that are in need this day. As we turn to a new year, that our old problems still cling to us. And so we ask, Lord, for healing for those that are in need, for peace and comfort for those who have lost loved ones recently. And we pray for all of those, all of us, Lord, who are carrying burdens into this place this morning. May you give us the strength and faith to turn to you in our time of need. Because you, Lord, are a refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. We also pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. We pray this day for our state officials, our governor, our state legislature and courts, as well as other elected and appointed officials. May you guide them into all truth. May they have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, and may they be filled. We also pray for leaders here in our own church. And this day we pray for those that lead us in music on a regular basis. We pray for Sharon and the praise team. We pray for Holly and the choirs and others, Lord, who volunteer their gifts and talents. May you bless them, Lord, as they use their gifts and talents to lead us in worship. And may everything we do, whether it's music and prayer, may it all May you use it all to glorify yourself and draw people to yourself. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. 
Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Tracy. Let's pray together again as we turn to God's word. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is uh, our guide. And and, um, Lord, it is living and active. And we thank you for that. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our hearts and minds what you have to say to us. And may you give me words to speak this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Happy New Year, first of all. I guess that's important for us to say. And I don't know how many of you have made New Year's resolutions for yourself, but I know that's a very you know, popular thing to do. You know, as the calendar flips over to New Year, it's a good time to reevaluate ourselves and, and commit to doing something new or maybe something we've tried before and didn't stick with. But New Year's resolutions are very popular. And everyone is focused on change. But there's one good thing that we can focus on that doesn't change. And that is our Lord and God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so no matter what changes you want to see in your life, know that the Lord doesn't change. And that we can set our hope on him, which is exactly what Peter encourages us to do in this passage. He says to set your hope on Christ, on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, it's important here as we look at this passage, right, we, it starts off with that word, therefore. And I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When you see that word in Scripture, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And so we look back at what we talked about last week. And in verses 1 through 12 of the first chapter, we're all about the hope we have in Christ, right? The hope because of our salvation, the hope that we can have in suffering, the hope that we have because of the Scriptures. And now he says, because of that hope, Because of what he just said to us in the first part of the the chapter, we can now set our hope on Christ. And that's what we're called to do, right? That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. So whether you're trying to start something new or want to see changes in your own life, right? Whatever your New Year's resolution may be, we can do it by setting our hope on Christ. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, which says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run the race with perseverance, excuse me, with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When we set our hope on Christ, it means that we're fixing our eyes on him. We're, We're looking to him for guidance and strength. We're looking to him to show us the way. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He says, because of the hope we have in Christ, He says we can set our hope on him. And that means three things practically for us that we'll see in this passage. It means that we are called now to live obediently, that we are called to love others, and we're called to grow in our faith. And we'll see how that all plays itself out here in these verses. But first of all, we have to take a look again about setting our hope. He says we're to do so with minds that are alert and fully sober. All right, this idea of alert is a, is, a, is a translation of an old term that probably doesn't make sense to us anymore, but you might find it in some translations of the Bible. It actually says to gird up your loins, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. And that's an old term that was referencing what soldiers and others would do in the midst of battle. They'd often be wearing long cloaks, or maybe somebody not in battle would have a robe on. And if they needed to move quickly, they would take, they would gather up the, the, the fabric of their garment and tuck it into their belt. And that allowed them to run and move quickly. 
can imagine a soldier in battle doesn't want to get tripped up by his own cloak. And so he needed to be able to move freely. So that's what it means to gird up your loins. In other words, it means to be alert, to be ready for action. And we need to also be sober, clear-minded, under, in self-control. Now, there's an interesting translation quirk here. So we're reading from the NIV. A lot of you, you know, whether you're following along in the Pew Bible or in your bulletin, we're looking at the New International Version of the Bible. But as you know, there are many translations, and, and sometimes we get different wordings. If you were to look at most other popular translations, like the King James or, or the ESV or the NASB, they all translate completely, not with sober-minded, but with hope. In other words, a lot of these translations say, set your, be alert and sober and completely, and set your complete hope or completely set your hope on the grace that is brought to you. And I think that's an inter, that's a helpful translation, right? It's not just some of our hope, but we're to put all of our hope in Christ, not in New Year's resolutions, not in ourselves, not in our jobs or our families. We're to put all of our hope completely in Christ. And in the, we don't want to hedge our bets, right? We don't put our hope in anything besides Jesus. We're called to give him everything. Right? To completely set our hope on him means that we are called to live life now in light of that promise. Right? He talks about the grace that's to be revealed that is coming, right? We are looking forward to what Jesus is going to do when he returns. And so we live expectantly now. We live now in light of eternity. That's what it means to put our hope in him. And so we see here we're called to live obediently. Beginning in verse 14, he says, as obedient children do not. And it's important here. He says that we are called to live as obedient children. He doesn't say slaves or servants, right? Slaves or servants must obey in order to keep their position in the household. But children are different. Children are expected to obey, they can obey, but their position in the family is not dependent and it's not contingent upon their obedience. A son or daughter is going to be a son or daughter no matter how obedient they are. And that's the difference between a slave and a child. And here Peter reminds us that we are children of God. And, And obedient children will imitate their father. Right, So he, he says later on in the verse that we are born again. It's that same word that he used in verse 3 that we talked about last week. We are given new life. We are made new in Christ. And part of that new life comes with being part of a new family, right? the family of God. If God is our father, then we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And being part of a family means that we're called to love one another. And certainly we're called to receive the family likeness. Right? We're called to be like our Heavenly Father. And so we're called to be, live as obedient children, and then we're called to also be conformed to Christ. Right? We're, we're, not, we're called not to conform to the world. Right? It's expressed in the negative. Right? Do not conform to the world rather than conforming to Christ. But it's the same principle we see in passages like Romans 12:2, where Paul says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test what God's, and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? In Scripture, we see the call to turn away from our old selves, to turn away from our own selfish and sinful desires, to turn away from the patterns of this world and conform to Christ. In other words, following Jesus means we are going to look different than the rest of the world. And we are all going to be shaped by something, right? In this world, we're going to be shaped by something. There's no doubt about that. So the question is, what are you going to allow yourself to be shaped by? Are you going to be shaped by Christ? Or are you going to allow the world to shape you? What is your life going to look like? When people look at you, do they see Jesus? Can people tell that you are conformed to Christ by the way that you act and the things that you say? and the way that you live day to day. I had an old football coach who used to say that you could, he could guess what sort of music you like to listen to by the way that you dressed. And he would play that game sometimes with the players in the football team. He'd try to guess their favorite band by the way that they dressed, the way they behaved. 
Now the question is, can people tell that you follow Jesus by the way that you act and behave? Are you conformed to Christ or are you allowing yourself to be conformed to the world? That's what this word holy means. You see, Peter tells them, you have to be holy like God is holy. That's a a quote that comes right out of Leviticus, right? To be holy is to be set apart, to be pure, to be completely other. And God is holy and he calls us to be holy like him, right? So, So in other words, he is the standard that we're called to live by. Right, we don't live according to the standards of the world. We don't even live for the standards that others set for us or even the ones that we set for ourselves. We look to God and to Him alone. And this holiness that we're called to have is not something that we can muster up ourselves. It comes from Christ. It's an inherited holiness. We receive it in Christ in a relationship with Him through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, the reason we can be holy like God is holy is because he gives us new life. He gives us his spirit and, and he conforms us to his image. And so we need to allow his holiness to permeate every part of our lives. Right? That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right, so if, if we're holy, we're called to be set apart. We're called to look different. And Peter goes on to say that we do this out of reverent fear towards God who, who judges impartially, right? Which, which reminds us that God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't play favorites, right? When God looks at us, he's not comparing me to someone else. He's not comparing you to another person. God doesn't grade on a curve like that because God judges impartially. And so we live out our time as reverent, in reverent fear, right? We look to the Lord, not the world. We fear Him, not the world. We should care more about, we can care more about what God thinks of us than what the world thinks of us. And so we are called to live in obedience as children, as those that are conformed to Christ, and also then as those redeemed by His blood. Peter reminds us here that we are not redeemed by, by perishable things like gold or silver. We're not, we're not redeemed by anything this world has to offer. We are redeemed first and foremost through the blood of Christ. He paid the price that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He is the lamb that is without blemish or defect, which of course references Passover and the Day of Atonement and all these sacrifices that God prescribed for his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. And it was his blood shed on the cross, his death, which paid the price for our sins. That's why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus walking one day, he looks at him and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? Jesus is the one who saves us. He paid the ultimate price for us. And so we should live in light of that. What does it mean? It means that we were bought at a price. We are no longer our own, but we live for Christ. That's why we're called to be obedient, right? That's what our motivation to be obedient is to live for him because he paid the ultimate price for us. Our obedience is a gracious response, is a loving response. It's a worshipful response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we're called to live in obedience. That's part of what it means to set our hope on Christ. The second thing we see here is that we're called to love others. Right? Our right belief in God, our obedience to Him should lead to, can lead to loving others like God has loved us. Right? The highest expression of obedience to Christ is love for other people. Right? That's consistent with what Jesus taught. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those two things go hand in hand. So obedience to God can automatically or should automatically lead to love for neighbor. Right? We can't claim to, to love and obey God and neglect to love other people. First John 4 says this, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they, had can, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Right? We obey the truth so that we can have sincere love for each other. Right? It's sincere. It's, it's, without, it's genuine. It's without hypocrisy. Right? Sincere love means that we love each other because we want to, not because we have to. There's plenty of one another commands in Scripture, and we could go and take a look at some of those here today, but it's not too difficult to find them, right? To love one another, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Those are all ways that we can love each other through our attitude, our actions, and certainly our affections. And our sincere love must also be from the heart, right? It's, it's, it's love and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one more comment about that it says that we are called to live or excuse me, called to love fervently or eagerly, right? Which can also mean continuously. In other words, don't give up loving one another. Sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes people are not very lovable and sometimes we're not very lovable in return. But we're not called to just love people who will love us back. We're called to love even our enemies, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5. So we're called to keep loving even when it's difficult. And finally, we see that we are called to grow in our faith. He talks here about, again, about being born again, about this imperishable seed that has been planted in our hearts, that we are, we are products of this living and enduring word that God has made for us, right? Seeds are called to bear like fruit, right? So, so if the seed of God's word has been planted in our hearts, then we will bear fruit in accordance with his word. It's imperishable, it does not change, but it also should reflect the character of God. Right, the, God's word is living and enduring. It is still as relevant and life-changing now as when it was written. And it's the Holy Spirit that works through God's word to bring about that life change. And God's word was true, it is true, and always will be true. Right. One of the reasons why God's word is enduring is because it does not change. Right? Human wisdom, human opinion changes over time as maybe more knowledge is accumulated. We learn more about things and so our opinions about things sometimes change. But God does not change with the times. He does not receive new information because he already knows everything. So God's word and his promises to us will always be true. And therefore we should live like it, including loving others and growing in our faith. And so that's what these closing verses remind us of. He says, we're called again, therefore, because we know this, because we're called to be obedient, love one another, we should put off the old self. We need to remove it, cast it aside, right? These things that characterize selfish and sinful living, we're called to move past those things, confess and repent and turn to Christ and crave that spiritual milk that he, only he provides, Right? Everything that is good and this, this spiritual milk is a reference to everything that is good and necessary for growth. Right? Think about a newborn child. Right? It's, it's the mother's milk that provides everything that is good and necessary for the growth and the health of that child. In the same way, everything that is good and necessary for our spiritual growth can be found right here in God's word and in a relationship with him through his spirit. It gives us everything that we need. And so we're called to grow up in our salvation. That new birth is not the end goal. It's the starting point of a new life with Christ. And so don't stunt your spiritual growth by, by consuming spiritual junk food. Right? This is what we need right here. This is good and nourishing for our souls. But we often fill ourselves up on other things that don't really matter. Right? Things that don't fill us, that don't nourish us. And so, again, I want to I close here by, by referencing what I started with, these New Year's resolutions, right? We're called to live in obedience. We're called to love each other. We're called to keep growing in our faith. And there's no better way to do it than to be in God's Word, to be reading it on a regular basis. And so we, I know that New Year's are always a great time to start reading plans, and we sometimes get pretty ambitious. And things don't always work out that way. But I want to encourage you to commit to reading God's Word on a regular basis this year. I know many of you use our daily bread, right? I got a copy of it right here. We have free copies available here at the church. 
There's a great, this is a great resource to be in God's Word on a regular basis. It's got the daily readings, the devotionals, but it also has, if you're ambitious, a plan to read through the Bible in, the whole, in a whole year. So I want to encourage you to do that. Whether it's this one or a different one, pick up a, pick up a reading plan and be in God's Word on a regular basis. It doesn't mean you have to understand everything you read every time, um, but it means being in God's Word on a regular basis, craving that spiritual milk that God provides, that nourishment for our souls. And when we do that, when we seek him out, when we, when we spend time in his word, we will see these things. That we will set our hope on Christ and we will learn to live obediently, to love others and grow in our faith. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time here today. We pray that you would work in us what is good and pleasing according to your will. And may we ultimately, Lord, set our hope on you and allow that to change how we live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we turn our attention to communion this morning, I want to encourage you to continue in worship by standing and singing the next praise song, Oh the Blood.
Amen. You may be seated. One of the many ways that we can set our hope on Christ is by doing what he commanded us to do. That is sharing in the elements of the Last Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, right, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Right, this is given to us so that we may set our hope on Christ, remembering that it is his sacrifice, his death on the cross, and ultimately his resurrection that gives us hope for this world. Right, it's not, our hope is not based on anything this world has to offer. Our hope is based on the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. A life that was given as a substitution for us. Right? We deserve death because of our sinfulness. Yet Christ took that upon himself in our place. He died so that we may live. That's what this reminds us of. That is where our hope lies. And as we take the bread and take the cup... It is a way for us to set our hope on that truth, on that reality. That, that God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I invite you to pray with me as we reflect on that truth. Father God, we thank you now for this bread and this cup. We thank you for the sacrifice that it reminds us of. That Lord Jesus, you died and rose again. You took our place. That you bought us at the price of your very own life. We thank you, Lord, for that. We are sorry for our sin. We confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we need you, Lord. That even the good things we do in this life, Lord, are nothing compared to knowing you. And so we turn away from our our sin We turn away from those things that distract us from you and we turn towards you and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. And as we take this bread and take this cup, Lord, remind us of your love. Remind us of your holiness. Remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness towards us. That when we least deserved it, you redeemed us and made us children of God. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. For as Jesus said, I received, or as Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll be serving communion at the altar this morning, as we've been doing in the past. If you're able to come forward, we invite you to come down these side aisles. You can receive the elements from either side of the altar and then return to your pew and take them at your own convenience. If you're not able to come forward for any reason, there'll be a pair of elders also coming around the sanctuary with the, with the plates and can serve you in the pews. So this time, all who are able to come forward and have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this sacrament. We thank you for your body and your blood, which is given to us that we may live and have eternal life in you. I pray now that you'd fill us with your spirit as we go from this place. Help us to live as obedient children of our Father who loves us and cares for us and provided a way to be redeemed and brought back into his family. We thank you for these things and pray them in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.